As we have the word open in front of us, uh, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that's given to us tonight. We thank you for the gospel and we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us clearly anew from it so that we might have the joy of the Lord to proclaim to others. Amen. Now, many of you, uh, I know, would have been here last week when we had the joy of the carol service. There were several hundred here, and we had a great time of singing carols. And we're moving on, aren't we? Another couple of days, and we'll be actually at the day of Christmas, the major celebration. And tonight, we're going to go out and sing to the parish I presume, weather permitting. Um, And we're going to proclaim the joy of the birth of Jesus. Well, if you've got that passage open in front of you, you'll see that it's a very familiar passage. And in the few minutes that we have, I want to concentrate upon the joy of the work of God, the role played by two people, and the importance of a name. During the year within church, we often concentrate upon the teaching of the apostles and Jesus. We set up courses uh, that try to give people the opportunity to consider the claims of Jesus. And we're going to do this in the new year with the Alpha course. Because the critical question for all of mankind this Christmas time is not what can you buy from Argos or what's the best record to buy or how much are your family spending on presents. No, the critical question is who is Jesus and why is it important? So who do we say Jesus is? Well, our response to him will determine not only our own values and lifestyle but our eternal destiny as well. Because while Jesus was on earth, there was much confusion about who he was. Some people thought he was a wise man or a great prophet. Others thought that he was a madman. Still others couldn't decide or they didn't care. And there are many references in the New Testament to Jesus stating who he was. But this Christmas time, what are our friends the world we live in, our neighbours, the people in the parish, saying and believing about Jesus. Jesus, as I said, made several statements about what he said he was. We read in John 10, for instance, where he said, I and the Father are one. That means he claimed to be nothing less than God in human flesh. We read in Matthew chapter 16, he asked his disciples, he said to them, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I believe that the passage we have in front of us tonight sets the scene that supports Jesus' claims concerning who he was. Now I suggest if you went down and asked people in Norwich tonight, you'd get many different varieties of answer about who Jesus claimed to be. Because many people don't understand that Jesus claimed to be God. They're content to think of him as little more than a great moral teacher. But even his enemies understood his claims to deity. That's why they tried to stone him and they eventually crucified him. 
And so as we go into Christmas, as we go out onto the Jenny Lynn to sing carols, we go out to proclaim the joy and the truth about the birth of Jesus. So we need to be sure, don't we, what it is we're actually proclaiming. And that's what we've got in front of us tonight on our passage in page 965. Now, of course, for many of us, this is a very well-known passage. But I believe it's at the very core and the beginning of the gospel message of what Jesus claimed to be. But it's easy, isn't it, for us who live in a society with little faith in God whose God is materialism, science, and scepticism, to slip into unbelief. But here in this passage, we've got barnstorming statements, statements that changed histories and changed people's lives for 2,000 years. So the first thing I'd like us to note is, look at the way the writer links the birth of Jesus into the history of his people. It's linked into a place of time. We see this in the first 17 verses where we've got the genealogy of Jesus, where Jesus' birth is a direct descent from King David. So as we look at our passage, I would like us to consider three aspects of this account. The role of God, the role of mankind, and the importance of a name. And hopefully as we go out tonight, this will encourage us as we go and sing carols on the Jenny Lind. So firstly then, the importance of God. Our joy and celebration tonight is not determined by the state of the economy of the country or of our personal circumstances, but rather in the fact that we mark the time when God got involved in the world sending its saviour. The involvement of God and the fulfilment of the prophecy that was found in Isaiah 7, verse 14, is shown to us in verse 22, where we see, it says, um, about the birth of a baby. Verse 22 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. It's the prophetic word of Isaiah. God enters into the history of the world. God is at the centre of this count. And we can celebrate the birth of Jesus because God enters into the history of mankind. As I shared earlier uh, a couple of weeks ago with my wife, Elizabeth, what this reading was for this service, she reminded me that the BBC had broadcast a dramatic presentation of the Nativity relatively recently and that we'd got it saved on our DVD player. So I watched it again, and I, was, uh, and I was amazed, really. It made me realize the seriousness of a Jewish betrothal. We saw on that uh, nativity the ceremony of Mary betrothed to Jacob and the devastation that Jacob experienced when Mary returned from her visit to her cousin Elizabeth, evidently very pregnant. She couldn't hide it. We read of this in verse 18. Mary was found to be with child before she'd had sex with her promised husband, Joseph. She was pregnant, not because of Joseph, but because of the Holy Spirit, a third part of the Trinity. The third part of the Trinity had committed a creative act within her body. Now, this is a mind-blowing event, isn't it? It's something that we have not had any experience of. A woman was going to give birth to a child whose father was God and whose mother a woman. 
And so we see here, God is at the centre here. God is at work. And then we read in verse 20 of the angel visiting Joseph, speaking to him through a dream. Now at the time, it was commonly thought that God spoke through dreams. We see this in the Old Testament. Think of the boy Samuel, for instance. And in this account, we get importance of dreams. We get the importance of dreams. We see them not only here, but also with the wise men being warned not to return to Herod, Joseph being warned by an angel in a dream to escape Egypt and then return to the land of Israel after Herod's death. Dreams are important as are angels, which also play an important part of the account. If you remember, angels appear to the shepherds as well as to Joseph. And the reference to angels brings us straight into the spiritual world and God's actions. Now, the Bible, of course, teaches us that angels are God's servants and do his bidding. And friends, I would like to suggest tonight that this is not something that uh, we are very familiar with. This is not part of our everyday existence. This is not what you turn on the television at six o'clock and hear on the news. There have been five angels flying across Norwich. We don't hear of that. It's not what we expect. It's not our world. Well, I was recently talking to a man who was, I would like to describe him as an evangelical, dogmatic atheist. He poured scorn on the idea of there being a God and had no understanding of spiritual forces. For him, his God was science and what you could physically prove. He was a greater admirer of Dawkins, if you may have heard of him. And as I talked with him, I realised that we have to make a decision. Do we accept the idea of angels and spiritual beings? Because if we fail to accept the spiritual nature of these events, then they cannot have been the birth of Jesus as the Son of God. If we do accept God at work within this event, then we can be clear and joyful and confident in the message that we declare through carols. Because God is at the centre of the event of this birth of Jesus. And of course... This is supported by written records of the works and sayings of Jesus through his time of ministry here on earth. In other words, the miracles of healings, the restoration of life, the teaching and forgiveness of sins that we read of through the Gospels helps to support our faith in this recorded account. And it challenges unbelief. The joy of this celebration is clearly linked to supernatural events that took place. If we ignore them or disbelieve them, then we lose the joy that we can have in the birth of this baby. And we are left, as that atheist was, with a celebration of a midwinter festival or of material giving and family fun. Now here, we see in this account... God is at the heart of the event of the birth of this baby. After 400 years of silence in the Jewish nation, God speaks through the angels and the actions of his Holy Spirit. Surely that's a reason enough to celebrate. So we have then, in this account, the actions of God right at the centre. But secondly, what about the people 
that were involved, the role of these two people within God's plan. What I'd like to suggest to you is that they both showed humility and obedience. Mary and Jacob were engaged or betrothed or pledged, as some translations put it. And within Jewish culture, a betrothal meant that the bride was promised to the bridegroom as if they were legally married, although they were not yet living together and having intimate relationships. But it involved not just the couple, but the two families as well as the community in which they live. So when it appeared that Mary was pregnant, Jacob would have assumed that she'd either been unfaithful or violated by another man. And there was a lot of stigma attached to an unmarried mother. The Jewish culture would have it that Jacob should have declared Mary's pregnancy to the authorities and sought a divorce from her. And that explains his actions. But he was a man who was kindly, a man who wanted to quietly divorce her. He wanted to be true to his Jewish culture, but he didn't want to cause more harm to Mary or the families. He didn't want to bring shame upon them. And so we see here again God at work as the angel of God intervened before he was able to do this. And we read here that Jesus was obedient to these angels' instructions and recognised the prophecy. Jacob was able to accept the prophecy and be obedient in accepting Mary's condition and the prospect of the baby. But he was also obedient in naming the baby after the angel told him what he was to be called. And so we see in this passage these two humble, lowly people that made it possible for God's plan to continue and to provide a home for the developing child. Now, of course, we are not Jacob and Mary, but it's fair to say that God's plan for this world still does depend upon obedient and humble servants. And that should encourage us that God can overturn human priorities, not choosing people who are thought of as important and able in their society, but rather humble people. Think of Jesus and his disciples. They were humble fishermen. And Jesus commands them to go and preach the gospel, healing and bringing joy to people. And that carries on today. We go out tonight to share the joy of the birth of Jesus Not a sentimental story, not a soppy sentiment, but the joy that comes from the supernatural birth of a saviour. And this is the beginning of life that would unfold in Israel and end on a cross, giving hope to the nations throughout history. And so as we go out, we can celebrate a saviour who can rescue us from the selfishness of sin. And that's all possible because these two people, Mary and Joseph, were obedient to God's instructions. And since then, people have been obedient down throughout history, resulting in us having the freedom to witness to others in our society. So these two people were highly important and they're a great role model for all of us. But thirdly, the importance of a name. Now, names, of course, have varying degrees of importance. In some cultures, they're very important. In others, not so. Well, here we read of the angel instructing Joseph to give the baby a name, Jesus. 
The name means saviour. The angel states he is to be a saviour of his people from their sin. So if you like, it's a form of prophecy. He is to be a saviour of God's people for the years to come. It's an ongoing process. So here, clearly, we have a link to what Jesus declares later in his life. This is what was prophesied. And the rest of the gospel supports and shows Jesus at work and Jesus' teaching right leading up right to the death on the cross. And so this opening account is the support for all that will follow during Jesus' life. It's, it was possible, of course, because he was born of the Holy Spirit. That made him perfect. Yet, because he became subject to temptation and sin, he was able to take the punishment for the sins of all mankind on the cross, even though he was perfect. So this birth is an integral part of God's plan to bring mankind back into relationship with him. And that's the reason, of course, why we have joy and why we can go out into the parish and share that joy through singing carols. Some of you may well have been here a few years ago when we had the Bishop Andrew White, the Bishop of Baghdad, coming and talking to us about the work of his church in in the city of Baghdad in Iraq. And as a result of that, I get an information bulletin every month. And on this month's Christmas message, he writes this. So it's in the love of our Jesus that we are celebrating and rejoicing this Christmas. We are not depressed or sad because many have died recently for their faith. We are full of joy, hope and happiness. Maybe if you are to see the true meaning of Christmas, you need to come to the most dangerous place in the world. For here we have already lost everything and Jesus is our all and everything. The final verse of love came down at Christmas says it all. Love shall be our token Love shall be yours, and love be mine. Love to God and to all mankind. Love for plea and a gift and a sign. Love is the message from this passage this evening. Blaise Pascal wrote this. Knowing God without knowing our own wretchedness makes for pride. Knowing our own wretchedness without knowing God makes for despair. Knowing Jesus Christ strikes the balance because he shows us both God and our own wretchedness. So that's what we're going to proclaim tonight as we come to our communion. We're going to say thank you for Jesus' death on the cross. And then we're going to go out and proclaim the love and joy of Jesus in our carol singing. Amen. Happy Christmas.